Good morning, church family. I hope that you are doing well today. If you're new, just happen to be joining us for the first time. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors of Sound City Bible Church, and we've been doing these online gatherings in partnership with Martha Lake Baptist Church. And and I, I thought maybe I would just take this opportunity before we head into our teaching time to just say a few words of instruction and a few words of encouragement before we go into our teaching time. I think that will help us um, as we, these two churches, are, are working to come together as one. I want to just say this, if, and if you're new, this might be very helpful for you to understand a little bit more about our churches. First, first thing is this. We both have a high commitment to the Word of God. We believe that not only are there words of truth in here, but there are words of life. And in, in fact, in these pages, we encounter the living God Himself. And so as such, we both take uh, both of our churches take this idea of gathering for the, the formal time of teaching of the Word of God. We take it very seriously. Number two, we both are elder-led churches. Our churches are led by um, elders, or the Bible also uses the word overseers, or the word pastors. Those terms are used more or less interchangeably throughout the pages of the New Testament. An, an elder is a, is a man who is called by God into leadership, who has godly and mature character, and they're worth following. They're, they're somebody who is, who is worth um, just following after. It does not mean they're a perfect man, but it means that they're someone who is worth listening to. And both Sound City and Martha Lake are elder-led churches. Number three, we believe that elders and overseers are to exist in a plurality, in a teamwork sort of a model. That uh, it's not supposed to be, you know, kind of one Moses key leader and then a bunch of underlings who do their bidding. No, it's supposed to be a team of, of, of people who come together as equals to share the load and the responsibility of leading and serving the church. Now, not every elder is going to be a teaching elder, but some should be. Now, my role at Sound City Bible Church for the last five and a half years has been that of the preaching pastor. And that means that most weeks I have the privilege and responsibility of teaching and preaching from God's Word, but it also means that it's under kind of my responsibility, my area of responsibility, to make sure that there are others who can teach and preach from God's Word as well, because we believe that it is better for you as members of the church body to not only hear from me, and frankly, it's better for me too, that the church is not built around one voice, one personality. We really want to have that be uh, the, the leadership model of plurality and teamwork. Now, with those thoughts in mind today, I want to uh, introduce to you today's preacher, John Fox. Now, John, uh, for those of you at Sound City Bible Church, you'll know that last year we set out to find an administrative pastor. We wanted to find somebody who could come and who could help lead our church administratively to bring some organization and some, some strategy to the way that we do things so that we could be more effective in the work of the kingdom of God that he's given to us. But we didn't want to just find a pure administrator. We wanted to find somebody who was a pastor, an elder, someone who could shepherd the people and who could help teach as well. And so I'm so thankful that God has brought John Fox to our church family. Now, John is not currently an elder of Sound City Bible Church. He is in the process of being confirmed as such. He's not yet Pastor John, but we're actively working toward that. He has been meeting weekly with our whole elder team. 
He and I have been meeting weekly to go through a book called Gospel Eldership, and we are in the process of confirming him as an elder in the church. And it is in line with that process that today that we, the elders, have asked him to teach and to preach from God's Word. He's going to be teaching from Matthew chapter 16. We, as the elders of Sound City, have looked over his his notes and we've reviewed what he's going to teach. And I believe that I can speak for all of us as elders that what he's about to share with you will be not only biblical, but, but helpful. Not only truthful, but applicable to your lives. And so I want to um, encourage you to open your hearts, to open your minds, to receive not from John, but to receive from God as God speaks and teaches even through John in this time. And so I'm thankful for this brother. I wish we were in person so that you could spend more time getting to know him. But for now, uh, these online gatherings will have to suffice. So before John comes to teach today, I'm going to hand it off to my sister Renee. I miss Renee a lot. Renee is going to read our scripture for us. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And let's open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth from God's word today. Good morning. This is the Word of God. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever You bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was Christ. Good morning, church. My name is John Fox, and I'm the administrative director at Sound City, and I have the honor of being able to uh, preach for you this morning, like Aaron said. I'm uh, Glad to be here with you this morning. I know that I haven't gotten the chance to get to know a lot of you too well, and so I'd just like to begin this morning with sharing a little bit about myself and my family, if I could. My uh, wife and I are both from North Houston, the North Houston area, and uh, we have four boys. The uh, ages range from seven years old to uh, three months old, and uh, they are from oldest to youngest, Caden, Judson, Ezra, and Titus. And uh, they are a lot of work, but they are fun, and, um, and uh, we love them very much. My wife and I have been uh, married for almost 10 years, coming up this July, and so we'll have to figure out something inventive to do this July, as uh, it's different for most of us, and not being able to travel. But um, we, uh, we've uh, lived mostly in Texas, but also in Louisville, Kentucky, for some time and then back to Texas. And I uh, have been in ministry about 16 years, about eight years full-time and eight years part-time. And 
uh, served in different capacities, whether, you know, that's the initial youth ministry intern or all the way up until here recently as the interim lead pastor at a church in North Houston. And um, it was actually towards the end of that time serving as the interim lead pastor that I, um, uh, I knew that things were changing. We were looking for a full-time lead pastor for the church, and as we were honing in to uh, find that guy. And, and in that process, then I began to pray about and look for other ministry opportunities. And as that was happening, that's when I got connected with Aaron. And, uh, and that was nearly a year ago that we first started talking. And so finally, we're here. And uh, we're excited to be here. We've been here a few months now. Um, and um, just so you know, I I wish that I could have uh, said this some more in person by now, but uh, we've been really encouraged by the church. We've been really encouraged to see how everybody has responded, especially in in the pandemic, and loving each other practically, and uh, you know, dropping off uh, things, providing meals, and we're so very grateful for all the uh, initial help that we had moving in with people dropping off meals for us and and toiletries that those toiletries got us through the toilet paper through everything actually so thank you very much we're we're grateful for that um, and also just seeing the um, the unity of both churches uh, Sound City and Martha like it's been a really special thing for us to come here and, and see that happen it doesn't happen too many places um, so. That said, uh, I just hope you know that we are here. We feel called here. Uh, I feel called here and uh, ready to uh, be serving you. And uh, we're excited to be at Sound City. And I'm excited to go through the eldership confirmation process, like Aaron mentioned. And um, he's he's grilling me on all matters theological and pastoral. So feel free to uh, toss some more uh, inquisitions my way if you want. But we're glad to be here. Uh, I'll go ahead and pray now, and then we'll jump into the text for this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your truth, that your truth is transcendent, that it uh, comes to us from outside of our situation, and it gives us um, real hope and real things to cling on to, because it's, it's not a part of our world necessarily. It comes to us from you. And, uh, and we can hope on the things that you say um, as, a, as sure as a mountain that can't be moved. And so, God, we thank you for your, your truths. We ask that you would help drive them into our hearts this morning. Amen. Well, I have a question for you this morning, and the question is this. Have you ever been shaken to the core? Have you ever gone through a circumstance in your life that has upset your life so much that it caused you to question everything about yourself, about who you are, about why it is that you do what you do, about your relationships. When we go through crises and difficult times of life, that's what it does. It shakes us up and it causes us to ask these questions. And it could be this season for a lot of us. This season could be shaking you up so much that you're having to rethink um, how you view reality and what matters. Are we just atoms and biology or is there more to it? Or maybe it was some uh, death of a, f- a family member or someone that you loved. 
or a sickness that entered into your life. Or maybe it was the, uh, the, the loss of somebody that you really looked up to that let you down. As those things happen in our lives, they, they shake us up and they cause us to rethink life. And that is about to happen to the disciples in Matthew 16. Jesus knows this. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that their world is about to be turned upside down. And because of that, he's going to come to them to give them some truths, rock solid truths that will not fade away. And so in Matthew 16, Jesus comes to them and he asks them a question. This is uncharacteristic of Jesus. He doesn't normally do this, but he says, who do people say that I am? You see, normally in the Gospels, all four of them, people come to Jesus wanting to know this. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you John the Baptist? Are you the prophet? Are you somebody else? Are you the king? And his response is always enigmatic. He's always eluding them. He's always telling them things like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he says, the wind will blow where it will. Or... Or to uh, so many of the religious leaders, they ask him who he is and why he came, and he'll just tell them in response, I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. What kind of response is that? Jesus is slippery when he wants to be slippery. Um, And so this is uncharacteristic of Jesus, but he'll do it because he loves the disciples and he's preparing them. And he'll, he'll ask them, who do people say that I am? And then even closer, he turns the question to them and he'll ask, but who do you say that I am? Not just people out there, but you. Who do you believe I am? And Peter, in a classic response, in a, in a historical moment, does not put his foot in his mouth, but he says the truth and nails it. He says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms his answer. And he'll, he'll say that you, you know this because the Father revealed it to you. And he will tell him three things. We can pull out at least three things here that Jesus will tell Peter and the disciples that you can hang your life on, that will not move. And they all speak of one main point. And the one, one main point is this, that Jesus and his purposes are unshakable. If nothing else this morning, that is what we're talking about. That Jesus and his purposes are unshakable. And the first point that we see in verse 18 is that Jesus will build his church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, And I also say to you, you are Peter. This might be kind of strange to us. Imagine if I went home and I put my hand on my oldest son's shoulder. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, Caden, you are Caden. I imagine he would just stare back at me waiting to figure out what was happening. And so it may seem odd to us, but Jesus is doing something very intentional. He gave Peter his name and it means stone, little rock. And so he, he'll say, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And we have a a big question to answer here that I just want to take one minute on. That's a big one in church history. And the Catholic, Roman Catholic, and the Protestant church divide over this verse. When Jesus says, and on this rock, I will build my church, what is he talking about? 
Is he talking about Peter as the rock? Or is he talking about what Peter says as the rock? And to, uh, to tell you the simplest way possible, I would say this way, that Jesus is saying he will build the church on Peter's confession. Jesus will build the church on Peter's confession. Jesus is not saying that he will build the church on Peter, even though Peter's deeply involved in this endeavor. He's saying that he'll build it on the confession that Peter just made, or to say it a different way, we could say that Jesus is going to build his church on the gospel, the truth that Jesus is the redeemer of God to come and rescue a people enslaved to sin and give them new life. This is Peter's confession, and this is the gospel. And so, one of the ways that we can see that Peter even thought about it this way is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, he says, you yourselves, talking to the church, as living stones, like Peter means stone, little stones, as being built into a spiritual house, are holy, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's the stone, like Peter And he says, there's a bunch of stones and he'll say, for it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So to sum it up, Jesus is saying that he will build his church on the good confession of who he is, the gospel. And and Peter says, yes, Jesus is the cornerstone and I am on the ground floor level. I am right there at the base. And then he'll continue to build and build and build. And so Peter and the apostles have a foundational part to this church building endeavor. And we see that out of all of that, Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church. And along with that, we see that Jesus doesn't just build his church, but notice that the way he talks about it, he says the second thing, that he will build his church. This is an unmovable reality. Jesus says he will do it. When I proposed to my wife, I remember the the moment I set my will to it. I was at a Chick-fil-A. Thank God for Chick-fil-A. And I, I remember the moment I was talking with a friend about her and I just decided that's it. I'm going to do it. I set my will on it. And uh, she went off to China for a year, and I had a year to prepare. And she didn't know about it. But in that, in that time, I set my will for it. And that's what Jesus does here. He says, I will build my church. It will be accomplished. We can think about it this way. Coronavirus or Spanish flu, Jesus will build his church. Rome rises and falls, Jesus will build his church. Our economy is strong or it crumbles and Jesus will build his church. An individual pastor or a church may be unfaithful or may fall apart entirely, but Jesus will build his church. You and I, we live and we die, but Jesus will build his church. And notice how personal this is. This is not just a business plan for Jesus. It's not just an organization he's thinking about. He says, I will build my church. That Jesus is saying, this is the most personal thing in the world to him. And he will see it through. 
So we see this first unshakable reality of Jesus to cling to is that he will build his church. He will see it done. And not only that, but the second thing that we see here is that Jesus owns hell. Jesus owns hell. And we get that from the second half of verse 18. Jesus says that he will build his church and the gates of hell or Hades will not overpower it. The gates Jesus is talking about is another way of saying power. Gates in the Old and the New Testament are a way of talking about a symbol of power. We see this early on, even in Genesis, when God comes to Abraham and he promises to bless him and he is going to offer up Isaac, but he doesn't do it, but he's faithful and God says, I'll bless you. I'll make your offspring singular. That is the the messianic line, this theme of Jesus coming, even in the Old Testament. I will bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. It's the first time we see it. And just after that, talking about Rebecca, Isaac's wife, Abraham's son, saying that may your offspring, this is a blessing her family gives her as she goes to marry Isaac in Genesis twenty four sixty. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. It's about the power, but not just power, it's connected to this redemptive thread in the Old Testament. And a big contextual clue here that we can get is geography. It's always good to know your geography. And in verse 13, it says that uh, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. That's important because this is, uh, we might say, the den of iniquity. This is a place where all sorts of idols are worshipped. And we know from excavation that at least 20 temples were in this area. Another name for it was the place of the serpent. This is a place of incredible demonic stronghold. And Jesus comes in this place and he says that the gates of hell won't overcome the church. The gates are not offensive, they're defensive. Michael Heiser, a theologian, says it this way, quote, the theological messaging couldn't be more dramatic. Jesus says he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We often think of this phrase, as though God's people are in a posture of having to bravely fend off Satan and his demons. This simply isn't correct. Gates are defensive structures, not offensive weapons. The kingdom of God is the aggressor. Jesus begins at ground zero in the cosmic geography of both Testaments to announce the great reversal. It is the gates of hell that are under assault and they will not hold up against the church. Hell will one day be Satan's tomb, end quote. I love that. Hell will be Satan's tomb. The way that we would say it today is that Jesus owns the house keys. He owns the house keys. It's the same in the Old Testament as, the, as today, that if you have someone's keys, you can get in and you can go whenever you want. And that's what Jesus is saying, that he owns the place. It's also saying here that Jesus is the power above all powers. When you think of the greatest power in the world to the Jewish mind, you would think about this unruly spiritual demonic power 
and Satan at its head. But here, Jesus says that it is not even that that's that powerful. Jesus is more powerful than even hell and all of the demonic forces of the world combined. So we see that Christ owns the gates of hell. Paul in Colossians 2 would talk about it this way, that Jesus on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. There's nothing anyone can do to thwart Jesus's plans. So we see that Jesus will build his church and he'll also conquer hell. He owns it. He's more powerful than anyone else in the entire world. And third and last, we see here in verses 19 and 20 that Jesus has a kingdom that will come and it is coming. Jesus' kingdom will come and is coming. In Matthew uh, 16, verse 19, Jesus says, I will give you, talking to Peter in response to his confession, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I thought, what in the world is happening? Jesus is talking about the church, then he's talking about hell, and now he's talking about loosing and binding things. What is going on here? It, think, it means at least two things, we could say. At, at least two things. Number one, it means that we are all caught up in a cosmic theater. A cosmic theater. Every day, there's far more going on than we can possibly understand with our eyes. Through the scriptures, we get a picture of this world outside of the material world, a spiritual world. And even this, you know, past year, Pastor Aaron talked about this a lot going through Daniel, that there are these spiritual realities, there are these spiritual authorities even that are waging war in different ways that we can't even see. And Jesus says to Peter that there is this this cosmic theater. We're caught up in this thing that's happening that we don't even know all the things that are happening most of the time, but he does. Paul talks about it this way in Ephesians 6, that our struggle as believers is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Paul knows that there are things happening that we just don't know. But at the same time, these are things that we're a part of. And when you think about Jesus and how he enters into this picture, what does he do at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew 4, but to step on the scene and to say, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or to say that the kingdom has drawn near. Jesus is saying that there is another kingdom outside of this world that you can't see. And it is a kingdom where righteousness dwells. It is a kingdom where God's ways are just and they are firm and and immovable. And that is what he's bringing into human history when he steps on the scene. And so we see that Jesus's kingdom, it, it is coming. It is a present reality. And this is what he's telling Peter, that even though I'm here, I'm going to give you the keys, Peter. 
and I think the apostles, that they're here to do God's work. And this is an incredibly humbling thing as you think about it. Why in the world would God hang this responsibility on us? It's not like it all hangs on us, but God's kingdom, Jesus's kingdom will not come apart from his people doing his work. That's an incredibly humbling reality to think about. Jesus's kingdom comes through our agency. That's the second thing that we could say about it. That we have real work to do here. Jesus is not coming to Peter to say, Peter, you're right. I am the Christ. I am the son of God. I am going to build my church. I am going to destroy hell and you don't have to do anything. Jesus is not saying that. Right after he says all the firm realities about what he will do, then he tells Peter that here's what I will also do through you. That's an incredible truth. And it should give us great confidence to do God's work. So we see that Jesus' kingdom is already, but it's also not yet. It's happening here today, even as I preach for you, even as you listen, the kingdom is going out. The good news of the gospel is transforming lives, but it's also a reality that will be fully revealed one day when Jesus returns. We are a part of a present world, but we're also part of a future world as Christians. We have one foot in in two worlds, as one theologian has said. So we see that whether it is Jesus's desire to build the church, to conquer hell, or to bring about his kingdom, which is the biggest way that we could talk about it, that Jesus and his purposes are unshakable. Jesus and his purposes are unshakable. So what do we do with this information? What do we do with these truths? Three things, at least. Number one, we preach Christ and find comfort in that he who started a good work will bring it to completion. Just as we hear that Jesus will build his church, we can take great comfort in knowing that he'll do it. He will do it. It does not rely on us. The pressure is not on us. We are to be faithful. We are to continue to pursue Jesus and do what he wants us to do. But he is the one that will see it to completion. Paul says it this way, that he struggled with all his energy that worked through him. That is God's energy. And so it's the same for us. We need to preach, but we, we do that and we find comfort in that God is the one who's doing these things. And maybe for you at this time with everything going on during the, the pandemic and the COVID situation, that this is the truth that you need to hear. That even in the pandemic, God will build his church. He'll, be, he'll build his overall church. But as a part of that, that includes you and me. That includes all the struggles that we're going through and the faith crises that we're having. Sick people, lost loved ones, economic difficulties, occupational uncertainty. All of these things are things that Jesus will take care of one way or another. And at the end of the day, he will build his church. Second, we are bold in knowing that the strongest power in the world holds no power over Jesus or his church. When we get intimidated and think that Maybe we just aren't contributing much or we don't have anything to do. We shouldn't 
let the reality of our smallness discourage us. Why? Because Jesus is huge. Jesus is the one who has more than enough power to equip us, to encourage us, to strengthen us on the inner man, as Paul would say, to give us hope and, and, and passionate lives lived out for everyone to see. We are bold in knowing that the strongest power in the world holds no power over us, Jesus, and his church. And third, we long for Jesus' kingdom where he will be worshiped as he deserves and death, sorrow, crying, and pain have passed away. We long for it. This is the one that for me, as I was thinking about it, I'm probably the weakest at. There are things that I know I can do. Oh, I can preach. I can meditate on these wonderful truths. I can, I can be bold in, in this knowledge. But longing, longing requires sitting and thinking. Do we long for Jesus' kingdom to come and think about that future reality? We should. We should. We're a part of it. One way that we can see this kingdom already now, but also to come, is in Revelation 21, 4. So as we end today, I just want to leave you thinking about this. Maybe that we can end today just by longing for Jesus' kingdom to come. Revelation 21, 4. John says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And that's what we're waiting for, that these things will pass away and we'll look back and we'll just say, it's all for Jesus. Jesus and his purposes are unshakable. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for these truths. We thank you that you've given them to us so clearly. Thank you that you, you bolstered Peter and the other apostles by them to lay their lives down to build your church through your gospel. God, we ask that you would do the same for us. You would strengthen us to do your work and have faith in you that is unshakable. We ask in your name, amen. Good morning, church family. I'm Shane. I'm one of the pastors here at Sound City Bible Church. And it's really great to be with you this morning as we turn the corner now um, into a time of remembrance and of reflection on all that we've learned today in our teaching time and on all that Jesus accomplished for us uh, at the cross where he died in our place and for our sins. And for those of us who are, by God's grace, Christians, the way that we perform this remembrance, the way that we do this reflection week to week is through the receiving of the Lord's Supper or communion. Now, if you'll be participating in this memorial meal with us this morning, now would be a great time for you to uh, hop up and get the elements ready, the bread and the wine or the juice, uh, so that uh, when we get to the point of, of, of praying and then receiving the elements together, that you'll be ready. So why don't you go ahead and do that now. If you haven't already, I'm going to read the word of the Lord for us, where we see the Apostle Paul uh, capturing for us and uh, recording the words of Jesus to his first disciples about this special time of remembrance. So this is the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That the Lord Jesus 
on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, herself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Church, let's examine ourselves now, as these words directly from the scriptures have encouraged us to do, um, so that we, we wouldn't be doing this in like a flippant way, that we wouldn't be um, doing this in a way that um, creates, of course, judgment on us and creates conviction in our hearts that we have done this in a careless way. That's what the scriptures are talking about here, is to take this seriously, to remember soberly what Jesus has done for us. And in addition, to remember all that we've learned from our teaching today about Jesus and his church and his purposes and how they are unshakable and what that means for each one of us. And again, to think about Jesus' death on the cross in our place for our sins and all that means for each one of us. So take some time now in silent prayer. Consider these things. And then as the music starts, we'll take the bread together. We'll take the cup together. Uh, Whenever you're ready, you can go ahead and do that. uh, And then we'll continue in worship through song here in just a moment. So go ahead and pray silent now, church. And then we'll continue.